0: What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra.
1: What's going on, everybody? Other half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin here. Kyle, happy Sunday, dude.
0: Yes, sir. It was an action-packed weekend. Got a lot of topics to hit on this episode. Kevin, you ready to dive into this? Always. Ready and always. All right. So, first and foremost, we're going to cover some of the highlight games from week six in the NFL. We'll first start with the Cowboys and Patriots, a phenomenal game between both Dallas and New England. The Cowboys end up getting the win in overtime. Dak hit CeeDee Lamb on a crosser over the middle that improves them to 5-1 and one in the season. We'll start on that game first, and then after that, we'll talk about the Arizona Cardinals just absolutely decimating the Cleveland Browns. They improved to 6-0 on the season and still keep their undefeated season alive. After that, we'll talk about what was one of the most anticipated games of the weekend featuring the Los Angeles Chargers and the Baltimore Ravens. And the Ravens just put an absolute beatdown on the Chargers, winning by the score of 34-6. to The Ravens are currently on a hot streak right now. They are currently at 5-1 and and at the top of the AFC North, so that'll be fun to talk about. And then the last highlight game that we'll mention before we reach our honorable mentions will be the Kansas City Chiefs and the Washington football team. That was a game really of two separate halves. The Chiefs really struggled in the first half with some turnover issues, but they were able to turn it around, make some adjustments, and absolutely annihilate the Washington football team in the second half. The Chiefs improved to five hundred on the season, which is kind of a surprise, thinking that you know the Kansas City would be at the top of the AFC West at this point, but they have really kind of had some struggles to start the year, but they got a good road win against Washington. After that, like I mentioned, we'll talk about our honorable mentions. We'll mostly keep it to one game each. So Kevin will mention a game that he thinks was worth mentioning, and then I'll mention one game as well. And then we're going to talk about some NBA. We're going to talk about some NBA uh, topics today. We're going to talk about who we think is going to be the best team to come out of the Eastern Conference in the NBA season that starts within just a couple of days. And then we'll flip it to the Western Conference. Kevin and I will discuss who we think is going to be the best to come out of the West. And then to kind of focus on something different, something that we don't typically do, uh, we're going to focus on some pop culture today. We're going to focus on the Batman trailer that just released this past weekend. It was a phenomenal trailer, and I imagine Kevin will be super excited to talk about that. And I'll chime in a little bit here and there. I'm not really the comic book guy, but this is where I kind of rely on Kevin to, to pull through, and he will probably do a great job doing it in depth description of what took place in that Batman trailer. But that is basically what our episode is going to consist of today. So stay tuned. We got a lot of things to talk about and let's dive right into it. So we'll first start with the Dallas Cowboys getting a huge overtime win against the New England Patriots. Dallas won the game by the score of 35 to 29. It was definitely one of the best games of week six. And to focus on Dallas here, Dak Prescott was sensational in this game. He was able to connect with CD lamb on the game winning touchdown with the win. The Cowboys propel to five and one on the season. They are clearly one of the best teams in their division in the NFC East. They're one of the best teams in the NFC as a whole as well. And at the focus on new England, new England definitely played Dallas tough. They were able to contain that two headed monster in the backfield with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. But unfortunately they just couldn't make the plays that needed to be made and the Patriots slipped to 2-4 and four on the season, and they have lost all of their home games so far to start the season. So, Kevin, I'm going to pose a question to you. With Dallas winning this great week's matchup against the Patriots, just how impressive do you think Dallas can be moving forward with the fact of the matter of them being at the top of not only the NFC East, but they are potentially one of the best teams in the NFC as well? Dude,
1: I, I called it at the beginning of the year when we were just talking about predictions of who would win the division. I said that Dak was going to have an MVP caliber year in terms of him coming back uh, from the injury that he suffered last season. And he's doing just that. I mean, the team itself is performing and firing on all cylinders. I mean, on the defensive side of the ball, obviously, you just what comes to mind is Trayvon Diggs having, I mean, consecutive interceptions within the last six games. I believe he's up to seven total which is just insane. He's a one-man wrecking crew in terms of creating turnovers for his team. And then you have Dak Prescott lighting it up in the air, going for 445 and three touchdowns today. So it's not much of a shock that they're doing this successful, in my opinion, and they're only going to get better as people on their defensive side get back from injury. So it's just a matter of how high can they climb. Um obviously in terms of the matchup overall the fact that this went to overtime was a little bit of a shock to me just because I did not expect New England to keep up at least this much or should I say like throughout the entirety of the game because it was like literally back and forth it was you know New England scores Dallas scores New England scores and it kind of just went back and forth like that for a little bit but then New England hit that cold streak in between the third and uh, the second and third quarter where they didn't score at all so it looked like Dallas was running away with it until obviously um Mac Jones was able to lead them down the field and kind of you know get some scores on the board to keep this close. And I mean, I mean, shout out to Mac, man. The kid's playing at a very high level. He's playing it at a very consistent as well. I mean, doing whatever it is that he can to make this team uh, better. And obviously, you know, you have Damian Harris doing what he had to do with the Rock. So he scored 100. Excuse me, he scored a touchdown. He had 101 yards on the ground. But overall, did Dallas just turned out to be a little bit? Uh, a little bit on the better side, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Kyle, again, I know this is your team, it literally went sequence for sequence where it was Mac Jones throws a pick six to Trayvon Diggs on a on a tip ball, and like literally the next possession, he gets the ball, and he just torches Trayvon for a, a beautiful chair route, and then obviously Kendrick Bourne just completely runs away with it for a 75-yard score, so... It went back and forth in the fourth quarter within literally, like, I want to say, like 30 or 45 seconds, which is kind of crazy. But the game itself was great. Dallas is in a phenomenal position right now in the NFC. They're dominating teams that they need to, they're playing good quality teams as well, and making sure that they're winning those teams. And outside of that week one loss against the defending Super Bowl champs in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that game was close as well. So I feel like this team is ready. They're only going to get better as the season progresses. I mean, Dak is just getting more and more comfortable and more and more consistent on the offensive end. So I'm not surprised they're here. I think they're going to continue this run. I mean, again, it just has to be a matter of consistency and staying healthy. As long as you feed Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, the rock, the play action will be there. But overall, not surprised at the outcome of this game. Definitely not surprised at the record this season.
0: I'm going to be honest with you. I think Dallas got kind of lucky in this game because. At the start of the game, New England got off to a very hot start. They were able to score 14 points in the first quarter. And I believe they scored those two touchdowns like within eight plays. And when you look at the time of possession for both teams, when you just look at the difference in time management, Dallas possessed the ball for almost 40 minutes to New England's 26. That's... It's almost a quarter disparity between time of possessions for both teams. And it was crazy that when you look at the other stats, like, for example, Dak threw for 445 yards passing in this game. Mac only threw for 215. And as both offenses produced well for their teams, Dallas's offense was able to produce at a much higher clip. They had 567 total yards against New England today to New England's 335. When you look at some of these stats, it would say, oh my God, Dallas should win this game by three touchdowns. Just because when the stats are in that much favor of Dallas, you would just kind of assume that. But no, I thought New England played them very tough. And the reason why is, is that they were able to contain Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard as well as you can. I mean, as a whole, the Cowboys only rushed for 120 yards today, which It's actually not that bad because when you look at both of those guys in reference to Zeke and Tony Pollard, those guys could easily go for 200 combined between both of them. So I thought new England did a very good job of containing them, but you're giving the ball to Dak and Dak has been very good this year. Dak has been probably better than what I'm giving him credit for. The guy has 16 touchdowns to four interceptions and has about 1800 yards passing this season already. So you got to give Dak a lot of credit. He made the plays that needed to be happened. And I thought coming into this game, I thought that Dallas had the edge. And despite this game going to overtime, which is probably not the best look for Dallas, because New England's kind of an up-and-down team this year, but Dallas was able to make the plays that needed to be made in the most crucial moments of the game, and they were able to execute. I mean, Dallas is 5-1. and one. They're clearly one of the best teams in the NFC you could probably say the NFL to a larger extent as well, but I got to give credit to new England, you know, granted I'm a ride or die, new England fan. I know the record indicates that there are two and 14, but this team is a lot better in my opinion than what their record currently states. They've had some really close losses. This one being another very close loss for them this season, but Dallas just keeps fi- finding ways to win, man. And it's crazy because when you kind of look back at recent history Dallas was always the team that found ways to lose games. But it seems like Dak Prescott is the perfect leader for this offense. You combine that with the one-two punch that they have with Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, and then you got CeeDee Lamb on top of it with Amari Cooper. That's a tough team to stop, and I got to give CeeDee Lamb a lot of credit today. Man, he torched Jalen Mills today. Jalen Mills was mostly the guy in coverage against him, and he beat him twice on the two touchdowns that he got Against New England. So CD had a great game today. I believe he had like eight catches for like 140 yards and two touchdowns, including the game-winning one. So, I mean, Dallas is a very good team to contend with. I mean, outside of that Bucks loss, which they damn near won. I mean, this team could honestly be 6-0 and had it gone in their favor against the Bucks in week one. But it's just kind of crazy that Dallas is this team that is just finding ways to win when in recent memory, it was the opposite. They were always the team that They would find a way to lose games when they thought that they had it in the bag. But that's just not the case this year. And Dallas, I don't know what else to say. They're really good, man. It's crazy for me to say that. And I I know you mentioned Trayvon Diggs. A dude's going to get 10 touchdowns by week 10. I'm just convinced at it with this point because the ball just seems to find him. And he made the most of it today with that pick six against Mac. But, you know, all in all, a phenomenal game. I got to give Mac credit. He stayed poised after that pick six to Trayvon Diggs and just connected on Kendrick Bourne, but it's just, they couldn't make the plays that needed to be made at the critical stages of the game. But Dallas was Dallas made those plays and that's the difference, but you know, good win for Dallas. Patriots are still going through their growing pains with Mac, but I do think that the Patriots will be a more formidable team in the second half of the season. I think that they just got to ride out this first half of the season with max struggles here and there, but by, by and large, this was definitely one of the best games in week six, in my opinion.
1: I mean, yeah, this game was literally just when I saw the score at 14, seven, I was like, what's going on here. Is Dallas really about to lose in Foxborough? And then of course, like I had stated before, uh, Dallas scored, Dallas scored and New England was kind of stagnant into the third quarter. And you're just sitting here like, wow, is Dallas about to come into Foxborough and like bust that ass and Mac led and did what he needed to do again. Like Kyle indicated, it's, Definitely more of growing pains. It's, it's definitely Matt getting uh, adapted and used to the NFL and kind of growing in the, his role as a leader on this team. And, you know, with time, he's going to get better. But he shows a lot of flashes in certain instances where you can tell he's going to be a good quarterback in the NFL. And to me, the biggest thing that, just, that showed that was his short-term memory. Throws a pick six, and in the next series, throws a dime to Kendrick Bourne. Mm -hmm. that's what veterans do there are some veterans in the NFL that can't do that the second they have an interception or a turnover in general they're rattled so for him for him to keep his composure and take this team into overtime obviously it didn't go their way I just think that Mac Jones and Bill Belichick that 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 relationship is only going to get better and the chemistry with the receivers and the tight ends once you guys get a little bit more healthy on the defensive side as well I think things are going to bode very well for you go forward.
0: Well, I think the thing that's going to help Mac the most is once they're able to get their offensive line completely healthy, I think he's going to be able to sit back in the pocket for most of the game without getting hit. They've been dealing with a lot of offensive line issues the last couple of weeks. I remember last week against Houston, they had four out of their five starters out due to injury on the offensive line. And they were able to find a way to beat Houston. And even in this game, you know, granted, Dallas did definitely get pressure on Mac. There's no doubt about that. But oh, yeah. the, fact that, the fact of the matter is, is that despite the pressure that Mac is facing, he is making plays happen. And it's like you said, to be able to forget that pick six and you go after the guy that you just got picked off by and returned it for a touchdown, you go right back at him and torch him on a 75-yard bomb to Kendrick Bourne. Granted, he's a rookie and he's still got a long way to go. But the fact of the matter is, coming into this game, he was fifth in the league in completion percentage through the entire league. That's phenomenal. Granted, he's not throwing the ball 40, 50 times. It's not like they've just opened up the playbook for Mack and say, all right, carry us to the promised land by you just throwing the ball and being able to complete 40 out of 50 passes. It's not like that. But he's showing progression as far as reading the defense, making smart plays, Not turning the ball over that much. Granted, he had the interception against Trayvon today. And he's had a couple interceptions to start the year. But there's a confidence about Mack that I'm very impressed by. And his pocket awareness for somebody that young is actually pretty solid. So as he develops, as he keeps kind of learning the ropes on how to be a more better quarterback, I think the sky's the limit for him. Granted, you know he's only a rookie and we're only six games into his career. But... When you're fifth in the league in completion percentage this early on and you're not making a lot of stupid plays, you got to give the kid credit. You know, I don't know if he's going to be potentially like the best quarterback in the league by next year. I'm not saying that, but he's definitely shown me that he's capable of being an above average quarterback in the very near near future, if he's not even that already. So, you know, granted, you, you take these losses in stride, you know, they're going through their growing pains, but... Mac did his thing, even despite the fact that he threw that interception today. He came back, and he bounced back in a huge way, and at least gave them a chance. And you know what? To ask that for basically a kid in his early 20s, he did it pretty well today. So you got to give the kid credit. But Yeah, for sure. On the other side, I mean, Dak was phenomenal. Dak didn't get hit at all. He barely faced any pressure from New England's pass rush, and he was able to make plays happen. I know he had the one interception in the red zone that got tipped and picked off, but I mean, he was able to bounce back and had, I think four touchdowns in this game. So, you know, Dak's in a very comfortable spot and it's like we've both said, I mean, Dak has looked far better than what he did last year when he was playing at a Supreme level before he went out with that leg injury. And I mean, 16 touchdowns to four interceptions and almost 1800 yards passing the guys legit. And I'm, I have to say, I mean, the guy should honestly be considered for some MVP considerations at this point. He definitely deserves that. Just with the way that the offense has been churning out points, I think this was their third straight game with thirty-five points or more. So I think I believe that tied a franchise Jesus. record. So they insane! Are, they are rolling right now. But uh, to move on to our next segment, we are going to discuss the Arizona Cardinals and the Cleveland Browns game. This was a completely one-sided affair with the Arizona Cardinals absolutely obliterating. Cleveland at home. Arizona beat the Browns by the score of 37 to 14, a three possession win, which is very impressive against the Browns team that had a very solid performance against the Chargers last week, even though that it was in a losing fashion. But Kyler Murray was sensational. Once again, he had about 230 yards passing, had four touchdowns. Offensively, this team is just humming defensively. They were getting after Baker all day. So Kevin, I'm going to pose a question to you just when you see the Cardinals and the way that they're playing, is it without a doubt that they are the best team in the NFL at this current moment in time
1: to me I don't really think there is much of a debate for it. I mean obviously they beat teams in which are their competitors they beat the Rams and obviously they they have gone out there and they have beat some tough opponents uh and, and I don't really see it as a as a competition I don't necessarily see the see this as uh, something that is, is kind of like, not a definitive decision because the Arizona Cardinals are undefeated. They're doing what they need to do with their MVP caliber quarterback. Obviously, they just got better this past week. They traded for Zach Ertz, who didn't play this week, who tested positive for COVID after his Thursday night game for the Eagles. Um, and, I mean, their defense is doing what they need to do as well. I mean, obviously, you have Taylor Jones on one side of the ball. Obviously, J.J. Watt, Buda Baker. I mean, we know what's on this team but they find a way to get it done every single week. And out of the, outside of the second quarter where the Browns scored their 14 points, it was a shutout. The defense legitimately locked down, and, and Cleveland could not score. Granted, they were missing their two workhorses. Nick Chubb was a late scratch in terms of like Saturday evening, if not Friday evening. I forget which day it was. And then Kareem Hunt exits this game, and he gets carted off with an injury as well. Not that the running back situation would have made anything better because they were blown out uh, early on, but when your two dominant players on the ground are out, that does make a very big difference in how you scheme for your offense. But overall, I just think Arizona is the best team in the league. Um, the record shows it. How they've been playing shows it. Their confidence. I mean, Kyler Murray is sensational. Twenty of thirty. Not a lot of yards in the air in terms of uh, like you know major statistics, but. 229, no interceptions, four touchdowns, a passer rating of freaking 129. He was sacked twice, but everybody just assumes Kyler Murray. He's a rushing quarterback. He's not really a guy that's going to get it done for you in the air. He doesn't know how to really sit in the pocket. He had seven rushes today for six yards, so that's under a yard per carry. Again, I didn't watch this game into in its full intense, like you know, like to actually fully divulge my attention to it, but. I I don't really see anything that screams they have a weakness. I would say maybe their weakest point, and again, this is just my opinion, is their consistency to run the football from the running back position because it is running back by committee. They do have James Conner and Chase Edmonds and whatever have you, but I haven't really seen any of them have a breakout game to necessarily tell me like, oh wow, these running backs are going to go out there and they're gonna they're gonna help Kyler Murray. I mean, when you run an RPO with a mobile quarterback, for the most time, for the most part, you just need someone that's going to actually make you believe that he's going to take the ball. And Chase and James are two backs that are convincing enough. But um, I would like to see a little bit more of an improvement on that side. But other than that, I mean, thirty-seven to fourteen speaks for itself. Six and zero speaks for itself. And obviously, they're at the top of most NFL um, analysts' power rankings. I know they're at the top of our power rankings. So Arizona did their thing. They beat Cleveland. I know Cleveland is pretty f- frustrated going in and losing what, 3 in a row now if I'm not mistaken.
0: Well, I know they lost their last two. Uh
1: well, obviously their record is now 3 and 3 and you know, Baker is a warrior. I got to give a quick shout out to Baker, man. Uh I Kyle and I talked about it right before we started recording. Baker seems like one of those quarterbacks from, I know Kyle and I had mentioned a few weeks back, the uh the, the last of the generation of warrior quarterbacks to kind of sit there, play through an injury and fight it was probably like Ben Roethlisberger, but I mean, Baker's right there with him. Baker's shoulder's been shot for the last almost month, if not the last three games. And he's going out there and he's laying his body out on the line. He's taking hits and he's getting up. He's going and getting to work on the sideline in the tent. He's coming back out there doing what he needs to do. I mean, for God's sakes, there was a play, I believe, last week when they were playing the Chargers and Baker's literally mic'd up and he's like, yeah, my shoulder's just coming in and out. It's totally fine. It's whatever. And the next series, he comes out there and he dishes a block for his running back. With one arm. And then he brings that defender to the ground with that arm. So, I mean, if anybody's going out there and giving it their all, not saying that Cleveland isn't as a whole as a team, but this can't all be put on Baker Mayfield's shoulders, man. He's been sacked five times today. He's playing with one arm. Thankfully, it's not his throwing arm, but I know that that does limit what you can do in terms of your mobility and and your avoidance to get hit. But I think the Browns are going to find a way to bounce back. They're a resilient team. They just need to get healthy as well. But uh, big kudos to Baker Mayfield, man. That guy's a beast.
0: Yeah, to focus on the Cardinals first, I mean, it's without a doubt that they are the best team in the NFL, and it's not just because that they're the last undefeated team. Granted, that is true, but there are some other factors into why I believe that. First of all, Kyler Murray's playing at an MVP level already this year. I mean, the guy had four touchdowns in this game today, completed 66% of his passes, And he was able to distribute the ball very well. He he threw five completions to A.J. Green, five completions to Christian Kirk, three to DeAndre Hopkins, three to Rondale Moore, and even Chase Edmonds out of the backfield had three catches. So when you see Kyler being able to distribute the ball very well amongst his targets, that's a nightmare defensively because all of these guys, specifically with A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, and DeAndre Hopkins, those guys are huge playmakers for Arizona, And at this point, not really many teams, maybe outside of the 49ers, have really given Arizona trouble as far as their offensive output goes. But, Kevin, this was a matchup that you and I had discussed last week where we legitimately thought that the Cleveland Browns had a very good chance to possibly end Arizona's undefeated season. And then Arizona puts 37 on the board and they win by 23 points. And not only that, I think the one thing that I was always concerned with, with Arizona going into this year was whether or not that their defense would be able to hold up. And the last month or so they have played phenomenal in the last four games. They have held their opponents to under 20 points or less in each matchup. So when you're getting that type of consistency from your defense on top of what your offense is being able to produce, it's without a doubt that this is the best team in the NFL and I think there are some teams that are fairly close to them, meaning like the Packers, uh, the Cowboys, the Buccaneers, the Bills, like those teams are within like their range. But I do think that the Cardinals have a slight edge just simply because this team has not lost a game yet. Kyler's playing at an MVP level and this defense is playing up to snuff. And that was one of the biggest concerns that I had going into the season, but they have proven me wrong at this point. So you got to give the Cardinals a lot of credit Uh, to focus on Cleveland here. Cleveland, I still think is a pretty solid team, but it's these injuries, man, and they are starting to mount up. Baker was already hurt with that torn labrum issue, and I imagine it did not get any better today. He had one play in particular where I believe he fumbled the ball, and one of the uh, Cardinals defenders ended up kind of like driving Baker like on that shoulder that's been bothering him for the last couple weeks. So I imagine he's going to be very sore going into tomorrow's film study. And on top of that, you know, Nick Chubb was out going into this game with that late scratch. And then Kareem Hunt goes out with what could potentially be a very serious calf injury. I hope to God it's not an Achilles because, I mean, just last week, we were saying that this is by far the best one-two running back combo or arguably the best one-two running back combo. You could maybe make a case for Zeke and Tony Pollard at this point. But with both of those guys being hurt and potentially Kareem Hunt being out for an extended period of time, It definitely hurts Cleveland's chances moving forward. It's just the injuries. Injuries can derail an entire season. And unless Cleveland can find ways to kind of get these guys healthier sooner rather than later, even though despite the fact that I think that they're a good team, injuries could derail their season, at least for the next couple weeks. I don't know if it's going to derail their entire season, but at least probably for the next three to four weeks, it's going to be tough sledding for the Cleveland Browns. But the Cardinals are by far... Uh, the best team in the NFL, and this performance once again proves that. And, I mean, Kyler's probably at the top of the MVP discussion. You know, I know there's a lot of other names that you could say, but he's definitely up at the top of the list in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's crazy to think that the Cardinals at one point last year were in the running for just a division title, and then they just kind of plummeted in mm-hmm. the situation that they did after Kyler was injured. And now you're sitting here and we're talking about Kyler for MVP again, but the team around him is better. The team's record is better. And obviously that has to do with veteran leadership. I think that Kyler and DeAndre Hawkins really put it on themselves to say, listen, we're going to rally these troops. The acquisition of J.J. Watt really helped the defensive side of the ball kind of get their shit together. And obviously when uh, Patrick Peterson left – you really thought that that, that void that, that that voice in the locker room was going to be gone and obviously that was immediately filled with pa- uh, with JJ. Mm-hmm. So I really don't know what has changed overall. I have a stupid calic on my head that's actually I bothering saw- the shit out of me.
0: I, I, I saw that. I, I, yeah. I'm I thought I caught that. I thought it was the only one but no you caught that. good job
1: yeah I was I was like yo dude I can't right now I'm literally trying to like find a way to like spin my head (laughs) where I don't look like a complete douchebag but it's it's just gonna sit there it's fine guys I've been in bed all day I've had a pretty shitty hangover but it is what it is um overall the Cardinals look incredible they've beaten good teams it's not like their 6-0 record is inflated in terms of they've beaten the Jets six times they've played good formidable teams I mean for God's sakes they beat the Rams which was a convincing win that wasn't a a scrape by kind of winning field goal at the last minute or a, you know, like Matthew Stafford was like riddled with turnovers. That was an ass whooping.
0: They beat it by three possessions in that game. So let's On the
1: not road. sit here. On the let's, road let's, too. let's, let's not sit here and say that the Cardinals are getting lucky and let's not sit here and say that they're beating scrub teams. So, I mean, big kudos to Kyler and the rest of that organization for turning it around. But yeah, no, the away they are definitely the top in terms of the leaderboard. But I told Kyle this two weeks ago, to me, in my opinion, the NFC is the best conference this year, and it's not close. I mean, we have three or four teams at five and one who are dominating games. Dallas, Tampa, obviously uh, Green um, Bay, uh, Green okay. Bay, and then and then you're sitting here looking at freaking Arizona undefeated. Dude, are, are you kidding me right now? Again, no disrespect to the AFC, but we're talking the NFC is statistically miles apart from the AFC. Yeah,
0: I mean, normally pl- the
1: teams that you would see here like the chiefs are normally in this category in and of themselves. And you can't, they're, they're 500 today. Like, dude, it's, it's crazy.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, when you look at the AFC, I mean, the only team I can really think of that's like within like that level of competition, as far as those NFC teams that you mentioned or the bills. After and Baltimore. That, at, and Baltimore. I will, I will give you credit for that. Um, I just, w- when I look at the matchup though, like of like, if I would rather take, like, the Bills or the Ravens, like, to say, like, who's like at the top of the AFC? Oh, I'm yeah, yeah, the yeah. Bills. I'm taking yeah. the Bills. You know, the Ravens, you know, despite the fact that... I mean, honestly, you could make a case that the Ravens could be 6-0 and had they not lost that Week 1 opener to the Raiders. But the Ravens have just been able to just find ways to win. I mean, last week they had the overtime winner against Indianapolis, and then they just hey. absolutely annihilated the Chargers today, which we'll get into... In a minute but yeah it's just to kind of focus on your point it's like literally the top four out of five teams in the nfl they all reside in the nfc and i don't really see that changing anytime soon the the green bay packers they play in probably one of the weakest uh not the weakest conference one of the weakest divisions in the entire league when you look at the bucks the bucks play in probably a little bit better of a division but the Saints don't have Drew Brees anymore. Carolina just lost their third straight game. Atlanta's a dumpster fire, so they kind of had that division to, division to their to themselves. And then when you look at, I've listed the Packers, I listed Tampa, and when you look at the Cowboys, they're in the NFC East, and the NFC East is a literal dumpster fire. Oh, we're again. forgetting
1: the Rams. They're five and one too. Shit, oh. we literally have like five six teams sitting Thank here.
0: Yo, you shit. Yeah, you, I mean. At this point, it's too bad like not one, like you take like one or two of those teams and put it in the AFC, then it'd be a little bit more balanced. But dude, I mean, it's just it's like you said, the NFC is so stacked this year. And it's kind of been like that for a very long time. When you kind of look at like the last like 10, 15 years in particular, it's usually the NFC that kind of has the better teams as far as like the number total of teams that can really compete. Granted, you had the Patriots. And probably, like, the Chiefs and the Steelers. And maybe the Ravens, like, here and there. It was mostly kind of those three or four teams. But just recently, though, I, I mean, just the NFC is churning out so much talent this year. And it's going to be fun to watch how th- this all unfolds. Bro, you could literally have, like, the top four teams in the NFC potentially be, like, 13-4, and 14-3 four, and three by the end of the season. It, it, like, you could legitimately look at it like that. So I know yes, I know the I know the, the Bucs can definitely do it because they have a very weak schedule. The Cardinals have a couple tough games simply just because they got to play the Rams twice a year and Seattle too. And then when you look at the Cowboys, the Cowboys could I'm not saying they're gonna run the table from here on out, but when you're playing teams like Washington, the Giants, and the Eagles, you gotta favor Dallas in that case. I know there's some other teams that you can mention, but yeah. The NFC's legit, man. There's no doubt about that. So,
1: Well, it's funny that we're talking about that. And then, of course, we are literally in about to transition into the AFC matchup in which we all thought was going to be a shootout or at least a, a, an equal game on the playing field. And Lord knows that is not what happened today. Nope. The Baltimore Ravens absolutely annihilated the damn Chargers mm-hmm. right off the field. And I mean, like, there there was no competition here. I mean, legit, from start to finish, the Ravens dominated on every single phase, 34-6. to Lamar Jackson has just kind of taken this team, I guess, with his confidence ability because he didn't have the best game in terms of his performance. He did have two turnovers. But overall, I believe that the game against the Colts on Monday literally put them in a mindset of no one can stop us when we run the football. And, I mean, the team as a whole, 187 rushing yards and three touchdowns on the ground. From Again, from start to finish, they really closed it out. So, Kyle, I'm literally poisoning this to you. Does Justin Herbert have anything to worry about? Like, do the Chargers have anything to worry about? Or, or are the Ravens just that good?
0: I would say a little bit of both. I wouldn't be as concerned with the chargers moving forward, because I still think by and large, they are a very good team uh, to contend with in the AFC, but this was an atrocious performance by the chargers. There's no other way to say it, but that is in part due to what the Ravens did today. The Ravens were phenomenal today. It was a well-rounded effort today. It wasn't just the offense that was carrying the defense. It wasn't the defense that was just carrying the offense. No, both the offense and the defense were sensational today. Because when you look at the offense in particular, the fact of the matter is is that the Ravens might arguably have like the best rushing committee I've seen in a very long time. Because it really doesn't matter who they insert as far as like their top two or maybe even three running backs that they have for their active game roster. These guys can just produce. Kevin, we were talking about at the beginning of the season when they lost Gus Edwards and you lost J.K. Dobbins. That... Oh my God, the rushing attack is going to suffer because of that. Nope. They can pick up freaking Devontae Freeman and Le'Veon Bell off the street and they can produce in big ways for them. I mean, Devontae Devontae Freeman had nine carries for 53 yards today. You had Latavius Murray. He was another guy that they picked up. Nine carries for 44 yards. Le'Veon Bell had eight carries for 18 yards. All three of those guys that I just mentioned, they had touchdowns today. And, You know, to kind of credit the point that you made about Lamar not having the best game. I'm like, he didn't need to really have a game like he had against Indianapolis last week. This was a game where they heavily relied on their rushing attack, and they came through with flying colors. To focus on the defense, the defense was just sensational. They were able to hold this high-powered Chargers offense to six points. That's incredible. You're talking about containing Justin Herbert to six points holding Mike Williams and Keenan Allen to pedestrian performances. And Austin Eckler was completely taken out of this game. I think Austin Eckler had less than 10 yards rushing today. And Seven. F- phenomenal performance defensively from the Ravens. And not only that, they were able to make Justin uncomfortable the entire day. They only sat him maybe like two or three times. But the fact of the matter is, is that they were able to get him off his spot, force him into some undesirable situations. And they forced him off the field. And the time of possession really kind of shows it to me. Baltimore possessed the ball for 38 minutes of this game compared to 21 for the Chargers. There's your difference maker. The Chargers, they just couldn't make plays happen and they just couldn't get any sort of offensive consistency going whatsoever. And the Ravens, they were methodical today. Very methodical drives. And they were able to capitalize on the Chargers' ineptitude to really get anything going offensively. So when I look at the Ravens, they are 5-1. And, and you have to say at this point, they are one of the best teams in the AFC right alongside the Bills. I might still give the edge to Buffalo just because I think Buffalo is a more well-rounded unit. But with the way that this Ravens team is performing, after they had all of the injuries going into this season, they've been playing lights out. And you've got to give John Harbaugh and this coaching staff a lot of credit. When this team lost Marcus Peters, Gus Edwards, and J.K. Dobbins before the season, that could derail an entire season, but they've believed in this unit. They've been putting these guys in situations where they can excel, and on top of that, Lamar's been playing at an MVP level. You're getting great production from your running backs, and even the wide receivers can chip in here and there and make some really big plays, including Mark Andrews. Really, Mark Andrews is kind of like their best receiver at this point, even though he's a tight end. He's just the reliable target that Lamar throws to. And even he had a pretty solid game today. So all in all, man, the Ravens, they came to play today and they put an absolute ass beating on the Chargers. And Kevin, I'll let you take it from here.
1: I mean, I'm just literally looking at this stat sheet and nothing really jumps out at me specifically about how the Ravens did this outside of just this. Like I said, their running back committee that they did in terms of who they ran uh, was very diverse and very open. Uh, Devontae Freeman, Lamar Jackson, Latavius Murray, Le'Veon Bell, uh, Devin Dunvernay, whatever the hell, and Tyler Nevertheless, obviously, the, the main people I'm looking at are the top four names, which was Freeman, Jackson, Murray, and Bell. I asked Kyle right before we started recording, and I said, would this be considered a hot take? J.K. Dobbins, lead back, out. Obviously, Gus Edwards, guy that stepped up to be the next lead back, Out. So then they go and they pick up two people from basically like Kyle said off the street who are now acclimated in the role. They're familiar with the playbook. Lamar Jackson is playing, as Kyle said, in an MVP caliber level. And I said, Will this committee end up being better in terms of overall production than Gus and or J.K. Dobbins? I mean, they're evenly distributed in terms of total number of carries, and three of them almost have identical numbers in terms of yards per carry and total yards. Three of them had over 150 yards put together. And that is Devontae Freeman, Lamar Jackson, and Latavius Murray. Le'Veon Bell was utilized in different packages, and he did have that touchdown, which was good for him. But, I mean, in terms of depth and, like, availability, I feel like the fact that they can rotate these guys in terms of carries is going to prolong them to play better down the stretch. Versus like a Derrick Henry who's getting 30, 35 touches a game as opposed to a Jonathan Taylor who is not utilized in one half. And then he's utilized like the rest of the second half to where he's almost burnt out by the end of the game. I know that I'm a Colts fan and I'm not saying that he gets tired or he looks winded. But I'm saying in terms of usage, you can split the carry and feed the hot hand the entire game. And I'm I'm not a fan of running back committees especially for fantasy because it just pisses me off. But nevertheless, we're talking Devontae Freeman is one of the more electrifying backs from a few years back in his Atlanta Falcon days, and he was great along with Tevin Coleman. Obviously, Lamar Jackson's a freaking former MVP. Latavius Murray has always been a career backup, but has always been a phenomenal backup no matter what team he's been on, whether that was Oakland or freaking New Orleans and now Baltimore. And then Le'Veon Bell is Le'Veon Bell. The name carries more weight than his actual performance. But if they can get him going to 50% of what he used to be, dude, we're talking absolute studs here. Like four more NFL ground player award weeks, like like these these guys are no scrub to carrying the load and running the ball efficiently. So I'm just saying, I know that it's a weird take, but I asked Kyle and I just I think that if these four guys can get it going in terms of consistency and evenly distributing the carries, I think this Baltimore team is almost unstoppable because you can't game plan for all four of them. It's just not possible. And if they continue the hot streak with Lamar throwing the ball and the defense playing as effective as it did today, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to stop Baltimore.
0: No, I think, I think the point that you made about the running back committee that they have, it's like you said. It's tough to game plan, but I think the one thing that we are disregarding on, you know, to a certain extent here is the fact that the matter is, is Baltimore is winning at the line of scrimmage. I'm not saying that they're as effective as maybe what Dallas's offensive line is because Dallas's offensive line, they've been just nothing short of phenomenal this year, but what Baltimore's offensive line has been able to do this year is nothing short of phenomenal. They are giving run lanes to the running backs that are getting the carries. And they are giving Lamar time to make plays happen. Granted, Lamar kind of does his own thing when the plays break down. And he is just as dynamic as any of the running backs that they have in their running back committee. And hell, there there are even games where Lamar can be the leading rusher and has been the leading rusher for the Ravens multiple times throughout his career. So, and I think when you look at it defensively, It's kind of tough because who are you going to really defend? Like, because the running backs can play very well, depending on who they have in the lineup. But I think they also fear the fact that once the play breaks down, that Lamar can break it out for 30, 40 yards with his legs. And when you set that dynamic together, it's very difficult to stop that. And that's even despite the fact that Lamar is not, the most consistent passer. He's definitely improved in that element of his game, but I think teams are just so fearful of what he could do with his legs. You can make a case that Lamar is arguably right alongside Michael Vick as like the most athletic quarterbacks that we've ever seen. I mean, I granted, I know like Michael Vick is kind of like set in stone as like kind of like the most athletic quarterback as far as being able to extend plays with his feet and just absolutely torch teams. In that aspect of his game. But Lamar is right there with it. So. When you factor all those in. Defenses are just kind of like. Well. Are we going to stop the run game? Or are we going to stop Lamar? You kind of have to make. You kind of have to make a decision. Between one of the two. You can contain one of them. But if the other one is getting good chances. To make plays happen. They will. So moving forward. It's going to be interesting to see. What sort of defensive schematics teams can present Baltimore to slow them down? I mean, I thought Indianapolis did a great job for three quarters and then Lamar took over, but Lamar beat Indy with his arm in that game, not because of his legs. So if you could be able to limit Lamar to like 50% of his passes or completely like 50% of his passes, not getting him out in space where he can make plays happen. I think that's really kind of your best guess as far as trying to slow the Ravens down but if that rushing committee is just gashing defenses especially their front seven that's a no-win scenario my guy it, it, you got to think the lesser of two evils at that point
1: yeah I mean I, again I think that it's going to be interesting as the season progresses everybody already knows for those of you that are awa- aware of how football kind of works you either stack the box to limit the run. By stack the box, I mean you usually bring a safety or two within the, you know, within the package to kind of limit how much and contain what the running backs can do yeah, in terms and, of efficiency.
0: And, and all the linebackers are creeping up, so
1: that's going to just limit. Um, their ability to run the football. However, that leads usually nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, man-to-man coverage, one-on-one matchups. And we all know that Hollywood Brown can blow the doors in terms of his speed past one freaking corner, depending on who it is. Sammy Watkins we know can be efficient in terms of making plays both with his hands and his ability to run good routes. And you have probably one of the best tight ends in football, Mark Andrews. Do you have a safety guarding him? And that's a big-body guy that can pretty much catch anything that's thrown his way. So it's a, it's, a, it's a lesser of two evils, you know what I'm saying? You're going to limit the run game, but then Lamar's going to torch you in the air because he's showing this season he can do it with his arm. Mm-hmm. Or you play the soft coverage, you limit Lamar, and then you have holes in the freaking coverage all day, and then they freaking just run the ball up the gaps the entire play, the entire game.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really tricky, but who would have thought that the Ravens would have been 5-1 after having all of those major injuries happen within literally like a week of each other? I mean, I know with Gus Edwards and Marcus Peters, they tore their ACLs on back-to-back plays, and they ended practice because of that. So psychologically, that team could have just been completely brought down by that. But they have just found a way to rally around this team that they have, and they're making it happen, bro. Like, good on them. And credit to the coaching staff for being able to get this team ready to go every week.
1: Oh, big shout-out to John Harbaugh, man. Rallying the troops and making sure next man up is is definitely, like, listened to and adhered because like you said mentally you could end up being shot you're like damn we literally just lost like our some of our best players in a span of two weeks and two of them were on back-to-back plays so yeah big shout out to the coaching staff for keeping the morale high and then obviously lamar jackson for being that vocal leader in the locker room to do what he needs to do so good for them but a team we had mentioned earlier is in a position right now that I don't think anybody on the earth, even even this player's biggest hater, would have imagined. And that is the Kansas City Chiefs being five hundred. And they were almost two and four. Yeah. if the game would have ended at halftime, you know, they, they would have won, but barely. But I'm looking at this game and I'm saying the Chiefs really almost lost to the football team. And by that I mean the Washington football team. Guys, it's really weird the fact that I can't say, you know, the Redskins but whatever so the Kansas City Chiefs go out there and they come back to win against the Washington football team 31 to 13 at halftime the football team was up 13 to 10 and Patrick Mahomes did not look like himself the offense was not moving Patrick was turning the ball over and I mean like it just looked like Washington had their number and then Patrick woke up (laughs) the offense woke up and they did what they needed to do and they scored 21 points in the second half. So, Kyle, I'm posing the question to you. A win aside, this Chiefs team is in a lot of trouble. Can they even find a way to squeak into the playoffs?
0: They'll make the playoffs. I'm not worried about that. But I have to say that if I based this team off of the first half performance that they had, this team would just be trouble. Like They'd be in trouble because... This team was tough to watch in that first half. And Washington is not that good of a football team. The fact of the matter is, is that these guys are just making mental mistakes. And once again, Patrick throws a pass to Tyreek Hill. And this was in the red zone. It bounces off of his hands and ends up as a pick. And then Patrick's second interception of the game was probably the worst pass I've ever seen him throw. It's a fumbled snap. He picks it up. There's a DN crashing. He's about to sack Patrick. And then Patrick literally just chucks the ball up like 30 feet in the air. And it just happens to fall in Washington's lap. And they get an interception. And that one was where they were threatening to score at least a field goal, if not a touchdown as well. I mean, at halftime, Washington was winning this game. And I was convinced that, man, I I don't know if it's in the cards for Kansas City this year. Like, this team looks bad. And then the second half happened. They made their adjustments, and Patrick lit up that Washington secondary. And Tyreek Hill, who's kind of been dealing with a leg issue the last couple weeks or so, he was kind of on and off the field throughout the game. But in the second half, he showed up, and Patrick was making it a point of emphasis to get the ball to Tyreek Hill, and he was making plays happen. Just offensively, when this team gets running, nobody can stop them. And when they got their mojo in the second half, They were unstoppable and Patrick definitely showed that in that second half, it's like, okay, this is the Patrick Mahomes that we've been accustomed to seeing the last couple of years, but man, that first half was tough to watch, but they made great second half adjustments and they got rid of their turnover issues in the second half. And that was the main point. That's been their biggest issue. The entire year is that this team is turning the ball over way too often. The amount of, penalties that they're accruing. Just the amount of mental mistakes that this team has been making has been so unlike Kansas City that it's leaving a very bad impression, not just on them, but just NFL fans as a whole. Like this team should be better than what their record indicates. But there are just some major issues with this team. Granted, their defense played very well today. They only held Washington at 13 points. But up until this point, this defense was giving up 30 points a game. And that was despite the fact that the the Kansas city's offense is very capable of going toe to toe with teams that are putting up 30 points. But you combine that with the interceptions that Patrick's been throwing this year. I believe he already has eight. He already, he's already surpassed the amount of interceptions that he's thrown last year already. And we're not even halfway through the season yet. So I think looking at Kansas city moving forward, If they limit their turnovers, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll actually be able to get on a hot streak. They could even end up at the back of the top of the AFC West very soon if the Chargers continue to falter. But this was a good bounce back win. Granted, it was a tale of two halves because the first half, they looked absolutely atrocious. But in the second half, they looked like the team that we've all seen from the last couple years. And if that second half team keeps playing like they did against Washington in the third and fourth quarter of this game, then they're one of the best teams in the AFC. It's just they haven't been able to do that consistently, and until they do that, this team will continue to struggle. So, like I said, good bounce back when They needed this one because had they lost this one, I think the amount of panic that would have been surrounding the Chiefs would have been starting to rise very quickly. But they were able to subside that for at least this week and at least get back on the win column. So, good win for Kansas City, and Kevin, I'll kick it to you from here.
1: I'm looking at this team, and I'm just saying, holy shit! The point blank period. Um, Patrick Mahomes or not, I mean, if this was another, fo- if this was another team, a competent football team, a football team that does not have a backup quarterback in. No disrespect to Taylor Heineke, I am a personal fan of his. I love what he did in the playoffs last year in terms of him going up against the greatest quarterback of all time, and then giving it the, the game of his life, just giving everything he had to it and how much his teammates rallied behind him. Nothing but respect for him, right? And, and obviously Ron Rivera and that coaching staff. But I'm looking at this team, and I'm just saying, wow, like the Washington football team had Kansas City on the ropes early on. And as, as everybody always says, football is four quarters, not a tale of halves. It is consistency. You have to dominate the game and it all phases throughout the entire four quarters. It just so happens one team was asleep one half, and one team woke up the next half. So it is what it is in that regard. But like Kyle stated, this has just become straight-up turnover central and bad defense. The, the, the Kansas City defense has never been known to be one of the best in the NFL by any means, but you're giving up 30 points a game basically almost to every single team you face this season outside of today, and you're like, well, we won today. But you didn't look good in the beginning, and if you're playing anybody that is better than this team, you probably lose this game because they're not going to let you get back on that horse they're not going to let you get that consistency they're going to continue to bring that pressure and Washington's defense from last year to this year are basically two different fucking teams. The defense last year that the that the football team had was absolutely incredible, and then this year they just they, they, they can't stop anything they can't stop a cold so I'm not going to give the chiefs too much credit. To, to say that they turned it around and they end up piling it on to win. I'm going to say that they dodged a bullet because this was the Washington football team. And that is why they won this game, because Patrick still had two turnovers. Patrick was still sacked three times. You know what I mean? It wasn't his greatest game. Patrick has eight interceptions this year. He has, what, like three or four fumbles lost already this year. So he has been a turnover machine. Yards thrown or not, total completions, total touchdowns, congratulations. You can have 50 touchdowns, but if you have 40 interceptions behind it, that's not a good year. So I'm looking at these Chiefs teams and I'm saying, well, are you going to continue to play like this or are you guys going to figure out a way to step it up? I'm looking at Andy Reid. I'm looking at their offensive coordinator. I'm saying, guys, Patrick is being put in a lot of situations where he is having to force the ball and or he is trying to do too much. You have decent running backs when Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is healthy. And now Darrell Williams showed today that he can shoulder the load with 20 plus carries. Granted, he only averaged three yards per carry, but it showed he can do something with the football. So now you have two viable running backs when Edwards-Hilaire gets back. And I think you need to take a lot of pressure off of Pat. You need to make sure that you establish the run and you need to make sure that you create play action. uh, Excuse me. You need to create space. In that secondary, within like separation with the play action, and you need to step up on the defensive side of the ball. Granted, they are riddled with a couple of injuries. Obviously, a lot of their secondary has been banged up. Chris Jones has been in and out of the lineup. Frank Clark has been in and out of the lineup. But all of their money, as Kyle and I have talked about, is tied into Patrick Mahomes. They gave Travis Kelsey an extension. Whatever money they did have, they gave to Chris Jones. Tyron Matthews looking for another extension. I don't know how they're going to be able to distribute any finances to get any good defensive players on this team. I mean, yeah, it's Patrick Mahomes, and I understand that they're, they're, they, you've know, you got to pay a player like that. But why is it that Tom Brady's out here at 44 years old making $20, 25000000 million a year? But they're willing to take pay cut after pay cut after pay cut to go and sign people like a Richard Sherman, like a freaking – who who was another acquisition that they – like a Leonard Fournette. They're they're making sacrifices and freeing up cap space to go and acquire pieces they know they need. Richard was hurt. I understand that. Maybe that was just a, a bad example. But the point is the team as a whole is willing to do that, and I don't think Kansas City is. And, Kyle, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I know I'm talking openly here, and I know I've kind of gotten off on a tangent, but I don't think the Kansas City Chiefs are poised to make the playoffs this year. I really, I just, I don't. They're going to play the Chargers again, and that's going to be another tough game. The Raiders may be playing like dog shit, but that is another tough division game. And the Broncos are still a tough division matchup as well. And the remainder of their schedule does not look like something they're going to be able to dominate when they're struggling against teams like this.
0: Well, here's the thing is, we have to see what this team looks like around like week eight or week nine, because then at that point you're at the halfway point of the season. And up until this point, I've been very, been very discouraged by what I've seen defensively. And I think, <clears throat> what I think what it's having an impact on is their offense, because I think what's actually happening is, is that Pat knows that this defense is horrendous with the fact that they're giving up 30 points a game, Like it's freaking Oprah back in the day, like saying you get a car, you get a car, like this team's getting thirty points, this team's getting thirty points. Like it's wild how bad this defense is. Oh shit. But but despite that, I think Patrick knows that. And I think they're almost trying to play too they're trying to do too much. And you kind of saw that in that first half of the Washington game. Even Patrick said it after the game said in the first half, we were just trying to do too much. Just trying to make too much happen, try to, you know, force plays to make big chunk plays happen. And this is not how it's going to be able to work. And I do think one of the adjustments that they made was they're not going and hitting on these big long balls as consistently as they have been the last couple of years. I think if they make the adjustment of attacking the middle of the field, attacking those short and intermediate routes, instead of the 35, 40 yard bombs that Patrick has been very accustomed to making. I think that's a winning formula for this team just because there are multiple ways to score touchdowns. You know, throwing 60, 70-yard bombs, I mean, granted, that'll be a great highlight to have, but sometimes when you get like these 10 to 15 play drives that go 75, 80 yards and do it in a methodical fashion, that is just as demoralizing to a defense as giving up a 75-yard bomb to Tyreek Hill. So I think moving forward, Kansas City has to simplify it a little bit go with some of the easier routes and, and force these defenses to play up because the last couple years, I think what the adjustment that defenses have made so far is, okay, we're going to play, we're going to play very soft shell, meaning we're going to basically have our safeties back 30 yards so that we can't get Tyreek or McCall Hardman or DeMarcus Robinson to take the top off the defense. But in counteracting that, It's opening up the middle of the field and that's where you can attack defenses. And I think once Kansas city starts doing that on a consistent basis, I think it's going to be a winning formula. Offensively speaking, defensively, I think the only way that this defense is going to be able to play well is if they're playing ahead. And that means that Patrick and the offense has to get it going early because if Kansas city gets into a hole early, I think Kansas city's offense can kind of go toe to toe with the team they're going up against. But you're kind of playing behind the eight ball at that point for most of the game. Cause it's always catch up, but when they're ahead, they play fine when they're losing. Then it's even exacerbated more because defensively, they just can't hold up. We saw that against Buffalo last week where they got into a hole early and they could never stop Buffalo when they needed to. So I think it really kind of does start with Pat and the offense because I just don't think that, Defense is going to be able to turn it around. Granted, they had a good performance against Washington this week. But consistently, I can't guarantee it or I can't bank on that. I just don't have a lot of faith in that defense. And that's despite the fact that they have good playmakers. It's just they can't lock down the chemistry to where they can hold points consistently under 20, 25 points. Hell, I mean, if they were only giving up 20, 25 points, Kansas City would probably be 6-0 right now. But the fact that matters, you're giving up 30, 35, damn near 40 points. You're not going to win games like that, despite how explosive that offense can be. I know I'm kind of going on a long tirade here, but it's like, that's just to say to the Chiefs at this point, is despite how good that offense could be, it's only as good as what their defense is allowing. And... If their defense is allowing thirty plus points, it's putting a lot of pressure on Patrick and that offense to perform. And when they're making mistakes, it's kind of indicative of just the situation that the defense is putting the whole team in.
1: Dude, and I, I know we are like harping on this, but guys, it, I, I we we truly believe that this team could be potentially in jeopardy in general. I know Kyle believes they're going to squeak into the playoffs, but
0: let hold me no. just
1: read you their schedule. This hold this
0: hold on, they will win the AFC West. They will win Are the you FC?
1: documenting that right now? Yeah. I will. You're guaranteeing that right now. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, I'm six. glad
1: you said that. Week week six of the NFL season you got the okay, that's fine. I'm glad you said that. Because this is this is the final point. Their schedule for the next remainder of the for the remainder of the season. Okay. In order. Okay. Titans. They'll win. You think this defense is gonna stop Derrick Henry? Are you out of your mind? They couldn't nope. stop a cold. They'll win. Anyway, Giants, dub. Yep. Packers.
0: That might be a loss. Raiders. That'll be a win.
1: Cowboys.
0: That'll be a good game. I'm looking forward to that one. I honestly I think both teams could score forty points in that game.
1: Broncos, Raiders, Chargers.
0: Okay, they'll beat the Broncos and they'll beat the Raiders.
1: Steelers, that's gonna be a dub for them. You got Joey
0: Burrow. They'll win that. And
1: week. then you got the Broncos again.
0: Okay, so they finish the season at 12-5. and five. You're 12 and five.
1: smoking,
0: bro. You're out of your mind. You think they sweep the division for the rest of the year? 12-5, and 11-6. That's how I see it.
1: You're out of your mind. There's no way that they're going to just roll
0: through and just beat okay. them with, with no competitiveness. Okay, okay. so well, let's take this point here. Let's say they lose it to the Cowboys and they lose it to the Packers. That puts them at five losses for the season. Correct. The, the only team that I think they're going to lose to potentially might be the Chargers. Outside of that, those are all winnable games.
1: I didn't say they weren't winnable, but it's not going to be like what it used to be where it was dub, 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 dub. Like, dude, th- this team sucks right now. Patrick Mahomes is keeping them alive, and he has double-digit turnovers already.
0: I said, Dude, this is f- tough. I said 12 and 5 or 11 and 6. You can book that right now.
1: Okay, that's fine, guys. This is, this, is, this is recorded. This is documented. We will come back. We save receipts on this show.
0: Oh, yeah. But I... I think they'll be able to – I'm not going to say that they're going to be able to solve the defensive issues by and large. I think what they're going to be able to do is mitigate them. Because I think if they hold teams to 20, 25 points, that's the best thing they can have moving forward. If they're still giving up 30 points in the process in pretty much the majority of their games, yeah, it could be a real big problem. But, yeah,
1: outside Dude, of the- – these, 20- these division games, when Kansas City was at their peak, were always tough fought. The Raiders, for God's sake, sucked two, three years ago, and they beat the Chiefs like twice. Like, the Raiders are a better team than they were the last couple of seasons. The the, the Chargers are obviously a better team. The Broncos are a better team than they have been recently. Stop.
0: Stop with the Broncos. You need to stop with the Broncos. The Broncos suck. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second.
1: They're not the worst team in the NFL, and you
0: know it. Did you watch that offense today against the Raiders?
1: They struggled. It happens.
0: They, they've but, been but, they're, struggling. But, they're, but they're not
1: they're not scrubs. The point I'm, I'm trying to make is that defense is capable to create a turnover. To, for God's sake, if the fucking football team was able to get two turnovers today, you think Patrick Sertain and Von Miller aren't going to get three? You think Patrick Sertain Jr. and, and, and Von Miller aren't going to get one?
0: Okay, well, look at it like this. I remember in that Chargers game against the Chiefs, I think the, the Chiefs had three turnovers in that game and they lost by six points. They had three turnovers today and won by 18. So what I'm saying is, is that yes, I mean, the issues that are on this team are clearly visible. I'm not saying that they don't exist. The fact of the matter is, is that somebody has got to shut down Patrick Mahomes. And despite the fact that he has been making turnovers this year, making a lot of them, he's been able to bounce back in a big way when basically shit's hitting the fan. And you know, granted, I know they're sitting at three and three right now, but guess what? The Chargers are four and two. They're only one game behind the Chargers, and mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have a lot of faith in the Raiders moving forward. I don't have a lot of faith. I have no faith in the Broncos whatsoever. I just don't think that offense is going to be able to carry that team. You know, and I, I'm not, that's not to discredit Teddy. It's just it, they just don't do anything to excite me. They, they get Judy back next week. They have good players, but I don't know if it's enough.
1: I'm saying it's going to be a lot more difficult than you're giving it credit. You're like dub dub. dub. Like, I don't necessarily know if all of like, that is consistent. I, I they have three mean, division well, games back to back to back.
0: Yeah, and there's a very good chance that they can win all three of those because it would it would really shock me if the Chargers beat them twice this year. It would shock me.
1: It would not shock me at one bit. Not, not one.
0: But you know, that's based off of you know the Chiefs struggling against Washington. I mean, we saw that game against the Ravens today like six points against against Baltimore for the Chargers six points that,
1: that was their worst been, game of the year
0: that that might have been Justin Herbert's worst game of his career so far and he still mean,
1: almost had 300 yards passing but they scored six Oh, points. excuse me almost 200 I think he had like 195 or something like that but it but no I see your point I, I understand what you're saying guys we've been we've been on this topic for quite a bit here and uh you know Kyle and I are very excited and get very into it very quickly so we apologize So we're going to wrap up our full game breakdowns and we're going to get into our honorable mentions. We've decided to keep it one game apiece, thankfully, because of situations like the last segment. Um, And, you know, we're just going to get into the honorable mentions quick. uh, Kind of just go through it seamlessly. Uh, Kyle, you want to go first?
0: Sure. I'm going to start with the Green Bay Packers continuing their hot streak. And the reason why I'm mentioning the Packers here is because at the beginning of the season, Kevin, we both know, that they took that 35 put ass-whooping to the Saints, and everybody was basically saying it's doom and gloom for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers looks like he's on his way out. He doesn't care. The team is suffering because of it. And basically, they were dead in the water after one week, meaning the first week of the season. And yet they have gone five straight weeks winning all of their games. And in this game, this wasn't necessarily their best performance, but I think it was a performance that was gritty against one of their division rivals in the Chicago Bears and I do think that it's a win that can keep propelling them to keep this win streak alive Aaron Rodgers didn't light it up today he didn't throw for 400 yards throw for five touchdowns and complete like 85% of his passes but this was a game where they had to play methodical and limit the amount of turnovers that they had. And that's exactly what they did today. Devontae Adams didn't torch the secondary for 10 catches and 200 yards and three touchdowns. He only had four catches for 90 yards, which is still a pretty solid day. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Packers are one of the best teams in the NFL. They just find ways to win games. And no matter if it's coming from Aaron Rodgers or Aaron Jones or Devontae Adams on the offense, these guys just make the plays that need to be made and they are doing it on a consistent basis. We mentioned in some of our earlier segments that they are one of the best teams alongside the Buccaneers, the Rams, the Cardinals. There's a boatload of teams in the NFC that are at the top of their game and the Packers are definitely one of them and getting this win on the road against Chicago and Chicago's kind of an up and down team, but, Still a very crucial win for them in their division in the NFC North. And I do have to mention that the fan that was chirping at Aaron Rodgers after he scampered into the end zone uh, to put them up by, I believe, two possessions at the end of the game with a touchdown. Some fan was chirping at Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers chirped right back at him saying, like, I essentially own you. And he has. The Packers have dominated the Chicago Bears for over a decade at this point. The Chicago Bears... Have barely been relevant, so to speak, since what their double doink, where they went like 12-4 and they lost to the wild card round in the Eagles, maybe like two or three years ago. Outside of that, they've been irrelevant since Rex Grossman and maybe Jay Cutler. So I don't think I had an issue whatsoever with the what Aaron Rodgers had to say in mention about them owning the Chicago Bears. They have. And they will continue to do so as long as number 12 is playing for the Green Bay Packers. So great win for the Green Bay Packers. And Kevin, I'll kick it to you for your honorable mention. Hey, man,
1: shout out to Aaron Rodgers. Because that that animation, I know that I want to get into mine too, but I, I got to give that boy a shout out. He came in there. He did the, the, the championship belt. And then I think a fan was giving him the double bird, like he was flipping him off. And when he said that, yo, that, spark, and that gave me goosebumps, bro. He is he just went out there he wanted all the smoke he was like i yes, own sir. you i fucking own you and that shit was lit like he's, you don't hear not, you don't hear quarterbacks talking like that
0: bro he's not lying bro he's not he's lying not.
1: no not even close um my honorable mention is going to be the minnesota vikings they are now 3 and 3 they have found a way to claw back from their 0 3 start and are now at 500 and the uh, funny part is, the Carolina Panthers were 3-0 at, on the opposite side, and now they have collapsed to 3-3. and Christian McCaffrey, unfortunately, now will be sitting on the IR for that much longer. I believe another three or four additional games. I don't know if there was a setback in rehab, or it was worse than they originally anticipated. So it's looking like they're going to have to be shouldered by Sam Darnold, who pretty much had a lackluster performance today. Uh, but Kirk Cousins, once again, I'm just putting it out there. The man is absolutely carving the league up. I mean, he was 370, 373 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions, no sacks. Absolutely a great game. Dalvin Cook's first game back in a couple of weeks. He goes for a buck forty on the ground by himself. As a team, the, the Minnesota Vikings were two yards away from 200 total yards on the ground. So I'm just going to go out there and say it. The Minnesota Vikings are doing what they need to do, and they are a force to be dealt with. They came back to win this game in overtime, as I stated a few weeks back. This team was a lot better than their record had originally uh, anticipated or like, you know, was showing and the offense is firing on all cylinders. The defense may not be getting it done to the extent of what they would like, but Kirk is finding ways to carry the team as a whole. And I think that he looks very good right now. I think that this is probably one of the better seasons Kirk has had in some time and Minnesota looks very good as of the last month or so. So I know that they're early on season losses by those single digit points were uh, were painful and they could probably be in a playoff situation at least competing for a wild card spot if they had if you know the ball had gone in their favor in, in certain games but definitely got to show them some love man shout out to my boy Jared and my boy Darian and my boy Kevin they're big 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 Vikings fans and I know that they were in pain early on in the year but they're founding they're finding a way to make their, themselves relevant again and rightfully so so I think uh, I think it's good time to be a, a Vikings fan right now man they look really good.
0: Yeah, it's just they got to compete with the Packers, and the Packers are definitely on one right now. So I don't know if the Vikings are necessarily going to be competing for the top of the NFC North. It's just because the Packers are just that good this year. But I got to give them credit. I did not have a lot of faith for this team after they went down 0-3 in the first three weeks of the season. But I got to give credit to Kirk Cousins. You know, Kirk Cousins has played admirable football at this point, so... I wouldn't say that he's competing for an MVP, but I think his numbers indicate that he's playing very well this year. So as long as they limit their turnovers from him, I think he'll I think he'll be fine. And it, it's just the one sticking point for me with the Vikings, which used to be their strong suit and now it's been the, the complete opposite, is that their defense is just so easy to beat. You know, their defense can be had if you're if they're going up against just an average to above average offense. I mean, God forbid they got to play like the Cowboys or the Buccaneers or some of the other top flight offenses like the Rams. Like, if they can't stop those teams offensively, it's definitely going to set them back. But it's just, you know, the Vikings have found their way. You know, especially coming back from 0-3. That could derail at least the first two months of the season, but they have found a way to kind of rally the troops, so to speak. And they're making plays happen. So, granted, you know, this is a big win on the road against Carolina. And Carolina really has faltered the last couple of weeks. And I, th- I think in large part it's just the fact that Chris- Christian's out. But give give a lot of credit to the Vikings, man. Give them yeah. credit. I think uh, dude, the,
1: man, low-key this might be Kirk Cousins' best season of his career because we're talking just under. And I mean like a, an ass-hair sliver of under 70% for completion percentage. He's 69.5. He's got 1,700 yards, almost 18, 13 touchdowns, two picks, and a passer rating of 105 for the whole season.
0: It's pretty good, bro.
1: He's playing very, very, very consistent football right now at a very high level, and it is showing. They're, again, their record does not indicate the power that Minnesota has on the offensive side of the ball with Justin Jefferson and freaking Adam Thielen being probably one of the better uh, wide receiver tandems in the league. And then obviously Dalvin Cook being arguably when healthy, one of the best running backs in the NFL. So oh, yeah. big, big, big shout out to the Vikings, man. They look really good. And if the question is, can they continue it? And, you know, can they make a push later on in the year?
0: Yeah, because if they could compete with the Packers, that will set up an interesting NFC North dynamic. I still favor the Packers out of those two teams, but I mean, if the Vikings really get on a hot streak where they could pull off five six games in a row, things could definitely get interesting in the NFC North. I won't discount that, but I still give the Packers the edge. It's really hard to bet against Aaron Rodgers, and he's he's been on one after that Week One loss to the Saints. them. (laughs) I'm going I'm to hit him with a discount double check.
1: Double check, my boy. Hell yeah, for yeah. those of you that don't know that. Oh, man, that look that reference up. That commercial was
0: great. Oh, uh,
1: but, uh, guys, uh, update on the Sunday Night Football matchup between the Seattle Seahawks and the Pittsburgh Steelers. We are deadlocked at 17-17 with two minutes to go. Pittsburgh is driving. Chase Claypool uh, just had an offensive pass interference call that puts them back towards the 50-yard line. So it is second and 15 we will see and keep you guys updated on who is going to end up winning this. Can Geno Smith get his first dub as a starting quarterback in what four years? Or is Ben Roethlisberger going to it's find like, a man. way to lead Pittsburgh to a five hundred record? We shall soon see.
0: Mm-hmm. But with that said, we are going to transition into a league that we have not talked about in some time, Kevin, and that is the National Basketball Association. So, correct the season will start. This season in the NBA. It will be a full 82 game season. And Kevin, I will say this right now I just could not be more thrilled about the potential season that is upcoming this season. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, to recap, last year we had a fantastic final series uh, between the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks were able to win that series in six games, really just based on the superhuman, superman performance that Giannis was able to perform consistently through all six games of that NBA finals. It was no doubt in my mind that he deserved winning finals MVP after that performance that he had. And I imagine they are possibly looking to repeat this upcoming season based on the success that they had last season. But with that said, we are going to focus on our favorites coming out of not only the Eastern conference, but the Western conference as well. So We'll start with the Eastern Conference first just to kind of give you guys the standings from last year's Eastern Conference standings. It went with the top eight teams being Washington at number eight, the Boston Celtics at number seven, the Miami Heat at number six, the Atlanta Hawks at number five, the New York Knicks at number four, the Milwaukee Bucks at number three, the Brooklyn Nets at number two, and the Philadelphia 76ers at number one. So Kevin, going into the 2021 2022 season who do you think is your favorite coming out of the eastern conference this year so i've been
1: i've been rattling my brain about this pretty much all segment every time Kyle kind of took the camera off uh to put it to himself i was doing a little bit of research and trying to look into some some more news in terms of what the eastern conference could bring to the table but I'm, I'm I'm conflicted, man. The East seems so much more competitive in of more recent years. Obviously, the Chicago Bulls have completely reloaded with the acquisition of DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball. The New York Knicks are looking to have a repeat of last season and going into the playoffs confidently, obviously with hoping of better results. Miami Heat went and finally got a point guard in Kyle Lowry. So they're looking to take their next step to get back to the NBA Finals. And then obviously Brooklyn's got their situation with Tyree Irving. So is that going to be uh, a hinderment to the Brooklyn's uh, to Brooklyn's success, actually? So I don't really know how that's going to work. I'm looking at Atlanta. Obviously they re-signed John Collins and gave Trey Young his big extension. So for the most part, that team is relatively the exact same. And then Philadelphia has got their issues with Ben Simmons and he had his first, uh, I believe his first practice with the team yesterday. And I, I don't necessarily know how much they're going to do if, if he doesn't change his aggressiveness. And then, you know, Boston, and, you know, the defending champion, Milwaukee Bucks. If I had to put a, a guess in it, I want to say Milwaukee will come out of the East again just because the team looks like it's pretty much the exact same team from last year. Um, I'm not going to buy into the hype, but I did send Kyle some some, some images of that boy Giannis doing some uh, some jump shots, you know what I'm saying, like, you know, in-game in fadeaways and whatnot, and it looks at fault. Yeah, I know, I know. Like I said, I'm not looking into it, but if he can make that a consistent thing where he could put someone in the post and turn a little post fade, uh, you know, increase his mid-range jump shot percentage and, of course, the three-point percentage, uh, I, I really do think Milwaukee has a chance to come out of the Eastern Conference again, but I can't say that definitively, wholeheartedly, that it's, you know, that's my pick because there's just so many competitive teams that could, of course, make noise in the East. And, of course, Brooklyn is definitely a team to completely keep your eye on because, You cannot sleep on James Harden and Kevin Durant playing a full season together.
0: Yeah, this is a tough one for me because I completely agree with you on the fact that, by and large, the entire conference is a lot more competitive than it was when LeBron James was essentially owning that entire conference. But when I look at this season in particular, I'm really focused on two teams here. And that is the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. I didn't mention Philly because I don't know how that situation with Ben Simmons and the team is going to affect them going into this season, even though that I think that Philadelphia is definitely going to be a top four team in the East when it's all said and done. I'm going to side with Brooklyn here. And that's despite the issues that the team has had with Kyrie Irving and the stance that he's taken and not getting the, the COVID vaccine where he could potentially miss up to half the season or half of the home games because he's not vaccinated. I still side with them because I imagine that Kevin Durant and James Harden are just going to be on an absolute tear the entire season, simply because I believe that they as a team felt like they were better than Milwaukee Bucks last year and let it slip in that game seven in the second round of the playoffs last year. So I think When I look at the roster, I mean, they were able to add some veteran pieces into the lineup in the offseason. You know, you get KD back. You're getting James Harden back. We'll see what happens with Kyrie Irving. You also get LaMarcus Aldridge coming back as well after that whole heart issue that he had last season. Um, He got cleared from his doctors on that one, and they allowed him to play. So when I combine the factors of having KD, James Harden, having most of the core guys back from last year. I think this team is just going to be determined to right the ship from what they had last year and be able to make not only a run at the top of the Eastern conference. I think that in my mind that this team could potentially win the finals when it's all said and done. I have that much confidence in Brooklyn this year. The only thing that could derail this team moving forward is injuries. And we saw last year that we didn't get to see Kevin Durant, James Harden and Kyrie Irving play As a three-man trio, just because multiple players in that trio were dealing with injuries at some point throughout the season. So, you know, that's always kind of a key issue with any team that is your projected favorite to come out of any conference is always injuries. And if they can minimize and mitigate the amount of injuries that they couldn't do last year, I think they will be set up in the driver's seat, not only in the Eastern Conference, but for the entire NBA as well. I just, I find it very difficult to see any of these other teams in the Eastern Conference really being able to defeat Brooklyn in a seven-game series before it gets to the finals. I do think that Milwaukee has a chance this year, just because I have to respect their defensive mindset and their attitude. That is what, by and large, kind of kept them in that series against Brooklyn last year. And the 76ers, there's a lot of unknowns with them, but... I definitely think that they're going to be a top four team to contend with. And I do think that they will give Brooklyn some bit of a run or some bit of a scare uh, when it gets to the playoffs, but I just, I have more faith in Brooklyn this year and I don't want to say that they're head and shoulders above everybody else, but I think they have the advantage over the rest of the Eastern conference in my opinion. So that's just how I currently see it. I apologize. But with that said we'll um we'll transition to the Western Conference so you know it was like I mentioned uh, with the East I'll go through the uh, the top eight teams from last year in the Western Conference standings so at number eight last year we had the Memphis Grizzlies and number seven we had the Los Angeles Lakers and number six we had the Portland Trailblazers and number five we had the Dallas Mavericks and number four we had the Los Angeles Clippers and number three we had the Denver Nuggets and number two, we had the Phoenix Suns, and at number one, we had the Utah Jazz. So, Kevin, very similar to the predictions that we had for the Eastern Conference, I'll ask you the same question. Uh, who is your favorite out of the Western Conference, and why?
1: So, I'm, I'm looking at the roster, or excuse me, the, the standings, and I'm just like, well, obviously, you know, the Lakers are the first team that comes to mind because I feel like they reloaded um, in their own way. Obviously, the acquisition of Russell Westbrook and a couple of other key veteran players, could bode well for the success of this team in terms of a rotational situation where the only players that are going to get consistent minutes are probably going to be LeBron James, Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis. Every other position you can rotate. They have a lot of depth at the, at the center position like they did when they won the championship. They have some good bench role players to play at the two and the three position as well. So it is just a matter of who's going to be consistent for them outside of the big three. That is the Lakers. Um, Denver, obviously, is going to get Jamal Burry back at some point during the season. So that is one team to keep an eye on. The Clippers are going to be without Kawhi Leonard for the majority of the year as well. So I'm not really paying attention to them. Uh, Utah had the best record in the league last year, but I don't ever listen to that. Like, that's not really a big indicator to be the best team to me. Uh, Obviously, Phoenix is pretty much the same team. uh, They're debating on whether or not to give Aiton the extension. They just gave Mikael Bridges his extension. So that looks good on their part. Obviously, uh, Chris Paul got his. And then I'm looking at Golden State and Dallas. Obviously, Golden State, right off the bat, you think of Clay Thompson's back. Huge. Absolutely huge. They're going to get James Wiseman back. Steph Curry just showed last year that he didn't need any help, and he was still willing to fucking go out there and and compete for an MVP and completely carry a team to a playoff contention. So God knows what is going to happen when they get this team back to be 100% healthy. And then, you know, my, my team is just – they're going to be a middle-of-the-pack team, so I can't necessarily say that they're going to compete for a Western Conference title. I just I, – I literally do not see that. We have potential, but I don't know if we're going to be able to do that unless, obviously, we have Luka and KP playing at extremely high levels, and they're playing the majority of the season. So we will see. So, I mean, if I had to put a number on it, I'm probably just going to say the Lakers, which kind of upsets me because I don't necessarily believe that they are going to win the Western Conference. I think that they may fall short, but I will say that they are my favorite to be at the top of the Western Conference come the end of the year just because you do have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook on the same team. LeBron does not have to technically be a ball-dominant person anymore. He can play off the ball, and he can focus mainly on scoring and defense. He doesn't have to worry about distributing the basketball because we all know Russell Westbrook is a very competent, and veteran efficient point guard. I mean, for God's sakes, he's been averaging a triple-double for like what feels to be like 10 years. But we shall see what happens overall. But if there was a team that I had to put as a potential upset, I wouldn't be surprised if Phoenix goes out and do it again.
0: And that's who I'm siding with. I'm siding with Phoenix on this one. And the reason why I'm picking Phoenix and not LA, Kevin, I think you could probably understand where I'm going to go with this. The Lakers give me a vibe that is very similar to what the Nets had when they brought on Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett <laughs> at the later stage of their careers. Like, are you serious? So, the the reason why is is because a lot of these players that they brought on, meaning the Lakers, are at getting towards the end of their careers. You know, oh, you look at yeah. Le- you look at LeBron James. He's I believe he's turning thirty seven in December. You know, Carmelo Anthony is in his mid to late thirties. Russell Westbrook is not at the end of his career, but he has bounced around the league a lot in the last couple of years. And by and large, this team is just very old in regards to the Lakers. And I just believe that issues are going to derail the Lakers season this year. Now with Phoenix, the reason why I have a little bit more faith in Phoenix is because a, they're younger. Granted they do have Chris Paul, who is, in his late 30s, but it didn't really stop him last year. He was efficient in the role that they had him, and he was still one of the best ball distributors that the league had to offer last year. I just think that they were so close to winning the NBA Finals last year. They brought their entire core back, which includes CP3, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, and I believe Cameron Payne back is back as well. So that's a solid group of guys to roll with. And... I would be hard-pressed to pick any other team in the Western Conference other than Phoenix, simply just because I don't have faith that Utah is going to be able to replicate the regular season success that they had and carry it into the playoffs. I just don't believe that they are a NBA Finals contending team. Denver is a team that I kind of thought about a little bit, but I don't believe they get Jamal Murray back until probably midway through the season. So I think they might struggle a little bit. That's where Jokic is really going to have to step up for their For the Denver Nuggets, kind of early on in the season, the Clippers—they got the
1: goat. Michael Porter, though, they signed him to the Um, big bag.
0: Yeah, okay. I don't know if it's like one hundred eighty million dollars. Whether he deserves it or not, that's another question. No, two or five. Oh, whatever. I mean, Jesus. Good good on his agent for getting him that deal. You know, that's all I'll say. The Clippers. I don't know about the Clippers because I don't know what the status is for Kawhi moving forward. I know he had that ACL tear. Uh, at the end of last year. And I imagine that he's going to be out for at least the first half of the season. So any sort of impact that he makes is going to be probably not until March, like February or March, like somewhere in that timeframe. Uh, Dallas is very streaky because by and large, the entire offense goes through Luca. And unless they get Chris involved in the offense more, I think it's going to be more of the same. For Dallas, I think they'll be kind of like a middle-of-the-pack team. And the same kind of goes with Portland. Portland is very good offensively, but defensively, they are... I don't want to say the lackadaisical, but they are inept at that part of the court. And I guess I could figure that Golden State is going to be in a much better position than they were last year. they I believe that Klay Thompson will come back at some point this season. I just don't know when, but if Steph is able to replicate any sort of success that he had from last year, this team will be in the playoffs this year. I I have full faith in that. Granted they were the ninth seed last year and they were almost able to to get in based on the, the play in tournament, but they ended up losing to the Lakers. And not only that, I just think that golden state is, I think their championship window is done. I I really kind of hate to say it. I just think that some of these other teams are just in a better position than they are in. And unless Golden State stays healthy, which the last couple of years, they haven't really been that healthy. I just don't think it's in the cards for them this year. Cool. So when I look at the entire landscape of the Western conference, Phoenix is the only one I could really say definitively. I have the most faith in outside of that. All of these teams got to have their issues in one way or another. So At the entire Western Conference, I've sided with Phoenix in this one.
1: Yeah, I definitely respect that choice, honestly. Like I said, it's definitely my second choice. I just... I don't know. If the Lakers can stay healthy in terms of their their, their main three, I think that they can make a big push.
0: And and I'm the Lakers fan. I
1: know. And
0: I'm I'm being objective. It's just... I side with the youth more. Because I think with the Lakers, the, the age factor is very important. And I do think that injuries are going to be an issue for them the entire year. Because, I mean, 80s in his late 20s, but we both know he's going to miss time. You always. Know, you know, God forbid he gets really hurt, but it's just – Yeah. Y- you can't guarantee that he's going to make it through the season without sustaining some sort of injury. I know every player, they always get like their nicks and bruises and stuff like that, but I just don't have a lot of faith in Phoenix. I, I just don't have a lot of faith in the Lakers this year with keeping their team healthy. They will be a competitive force in the Western Conference. It's just, is it enough to get by Phoenix? Who knows? But I will say this. If it gets to a Western Conference finals matchup where it's the Lakers and Phoenix, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, LA don't won know. that
1: rematch from last year, bro. I would not I don't be know. surprised that, that, that Braun comes out there
0: stupid aggressive. Because I they got disrespected. Last year, they got disrespected and they did. But I will say, had 80 not gotten hurt, I think they win that series
1: 100%. Everybody knows that. If you argue that, you're crazy, but that's besides the point. But, but, but
0: but Phoenix, but Phoenix to their credit, they closed that series out. Yeah, they they did what they they, 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 they
1: needed to do. They took advantage and they dominated.
0: You got an update for this uh, Seahawks Pittsburgh game?
1: Yeah, man, tied at 20, going into OT. Gino led them down to kick a 43-yard field goal as time expired. So we are going into overtime in Pittsburgh. Um, We got one segment left, so hopefully by the end of that segment, which uh, then again, it's probably not going to be that long, honestly. Um, And that's obviously the review of the Batman trailer. Um, We will keep you updated as that goes along as well, but – Let's we'll see what happens with Pittsburgh. Um, guys, final topic on the agenda today is just going to be a review of the Batman movie that is coming out on March 4th and 2022. Matt Reeves is directing this new trilogy with Robert Pattinson leading the role as Bruce Wayne. So, I mean, the first trailer came out literally as COVID started last year. And the movie has been on and off productions. The date has been pushed back a million times because of the cast getting COVID, Robert Pattinson having weight issues in terms of not being in shape for the film, and blah 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 multiple COVID scares with cast people, like I had said. So, with all of that said, that trailer was fire. That go was off, yeah. go off. That go trailer off. was absolutely insane. I mean, from from beginning to end between the storyline of how it's kind of being originated from the path that Matt Reeves is trying to go down with this persona of Batman, with this version of Batman, very different from the Christian Nolan movies and Christian Bale being Batman. It's going to be absolutely incredible. They're going down a darker path. And I, I really do love how he is portraying Batman to be so much darker, so much more aggressive. And let's be honest, he just looks different. Everybody is used to such a, a noble and kind and like, you know, like, I don't even know the words I'm trying to say, just not this kind of Batman. Like we are literally going down the path of this movie potentially being rated R because of how dark it's going. Obviously the casting is also incredible. You have freaking Zoe Kravitz. You have freaking Colin Farrell. Um, For whatever reason, I cannot remember the man that is playing commissioner Gordon, but he is in multiple movies. And I mean, like, I love him. He was in Casino Royale as Felix, That's the only, that's literally the only role I remember him as specifically by the name, but overall casting incredible. And I'm just looking at this movie saying this has the potential to blow the doors off of DC because obviously they have been labeled pretty much irrelevant as Marvel has blown up over the last decade or so. And we're talking DC has been absolutely irrelevant outside of their animated movies and this latest Zack Snyder's Justice League they came out uh, a couple months ago at the beginning of the year, that four-hour remake. And this has the potential to literally revitalize all of DC's hopes and dreams because there's just so much weight on this movie. There's so many other movies and projects coming out within 2022 and 2023. Obviously, DC Fandom was this past Saturday, so there was a lot of trailers released and teasers for other movies coming out in the, in, in the future of the years and, like I said, in the next couple of months as well. So to just hone in on this Batman character, man, we're talking, this is supposed to be Batman within the first few years of him becoming Batman. This is based off of the comic book lines that is Batman Year One and A Long Halloween. And both of those are very dark times for Batman. We're talking, he is just getting used to being the Cape Crusader. He is just getting into the entire role of saving Gotham, but in a darker path. Obviously he is in this, in, in this movie he is just very aggressive, he's very dark, and he is just absolutely taking and tolerating no shit. In multiple clips, we see him fighting and, and having absolutely no remorse for, for, for bodily harm, and he's very aggressive and, and be- basically beating the shit out of multiple um, criminals. And you're just like, wow, like, usually Batman has like a bit of a limit or he's able to stop himself. But in this film, it really is showing that darker side of I'm not taking any shit. And I really, really like the aspect that they're going down. So with the villains being Riddler, um, obviously Catwoman and then the penguin and then, uh, Carmine Falcone, we're going to see a, a very well-rounded cast in terms of how far Batman is going to go because every relationship with each villain is different. Riddler is obviously the main villain in the movie, as you can see in the trailer, when you lean into the coffee cup and you see the question mark, which is Riddler's go-to logo, um, you get an idea of this is going to be kind of like a cat chasing a mouse, kind of like a Tom and Jerry thing where you really think that Batman's going to be able to, uh, to be able to get Riddler. But I really do feel like this is going to end up being kind of extended. Robert Pattinson signed on for three roles or three movies. So there is kind of like no limit as to where they can go with this. Obviously, if they're basing it off of the long Halloween story, this can carry on as that was a 13 issued series. So, very curious to see how this goes but the trailer does indicate that this is going to be probably the best batman movie to ever come out and i know what a lot of people are going to say your crazy christian bale's batman is the greatest batman of all time and to those of you that say that you obviously know nothing about comics because michael keaton is probably the greatest batman of all time and there should be no debate in which he's featured in the flash movie but that's another day a topic for another day um Christian Bale's Batman was a little bit over-dramatized in certain ways I didn't really like how they portrayed him and the whole raspy voice thing. Everybody kind of assumes that Batman always talks like this. Like, it's just, that's not how it ever went. Um, but I am definitely excited to see this new path that they've gone down. I'm excited to see the direction that Matt Reeves is going to put this character on. And, I mean, if you guys haven't seen the trailer, man, you got to see it. It's, it's absolutely incredible. They're showing all kind of aspects of multiple villains. They showed the love interest with selena kyle they showed the uh the, the relationship that he has with alfred i mean uh, for god's sake the suit looks absolutely incredible I absolutely love the bat symbol i mean there's multiple rumors as to what the bat symbol is made of some say that it is the gun that killed his parents a little weird don't know if that's even true or not supposedly there is going to be two suits in the movie you saw the batmobile i mean Beginning to end, absolutely incredible. The hype behind it as me being a DC pro, like a a DC fan, as in general, more than Marvel. I I can't wait. I'm just I'm stupid hyped, and I mean like yo, shout out to Tyree and the boys. Everybody knows like this movie has the potential to literally put DC back on the map, and I'm hoping that it does.
0: Kevin, what was the one word response that I had to that trailer the other day? Dumb! Yeah. Because that's how I basically see that trailer. Um, obviously, Kevin is more of the comic book buff than I am. Um, mostly, I just watch the movies. And I just kind of you know, take it for face value on what I think, if it's good or not. You know, the, Granted, this is a trailer. This movie doesn't come out until March of next year. But just speaking, just talking about the trailer itself. This was a phenomenal trailer. And I remember I actually made a point to Kevin saying... This trailer was so good for a movie that's not coming out for another five months, yet the Spider-Man movie is coming out in December, and the trailer for that one was kind of subpar. It didn't really kind of like generate a lot of excitement for that film in the lead up to it. But this is exactly the opposite. I want this movie to actually come out like right now, just based off of that trailer. And the one thing that Kevin really hit on, and that's the point that I'm going to make here, is... The aesthetic, the, the the feel that I get from this movie, just based off of the trailer, it is a much more darker, it is a much more badass type of Batman than I think we've been accustomed to the last couple films that we've seen, where if you look at the original, not the original, if you look at the last trilogy that we saw with Batman, with Christopher Nolan directing it, and Christian Bale playing Batman, it was a more moral-guided Batman. Throughout the entire trilogy. And with this one. It's the antithesis of that. You're seeing a Batman. That is basically. I don't want to say like borderline psychotic. But is making a point. And asserting his dominance. Over anybody that he's going to potentially face. In this movie. So when I just look at the the trailer itself. It it puts me kind of on the edge of my seat. Just based off of what I've seen. In the two and a half minutes that we saw. On this trailer, and for that, for me, granted, I am not a huge movie guy. I don't like do like these big in depth, you know, discussions. I mentioned Kevin is a lot more well versed in those conversations than I am. But just based off of the the trailer that we've seen for this movie, it's phenomenal. It's it's a movie that I think, by and large, is probably going to be one of the better superhero movies to come out in a very long time. I don't think it, I don't know how it's going to top the dark Knight. In my opinion, I do believe that is not only the best uh, Batman movie that I've seen. I think that's one of the best superhero movies ever, arguably, if not the greatest superhero movie, in my opinion, but that's just me, you know, take my word for it. You know, it may not mean that much to somebody who's been reading comic books and watching these movies since they were probably little kids back in the 80s. So, take that for what it's worth. But the performances from what I've seen in this trailer, they are thrilling. They are gripping. And it's just its just phenomenal. Like, for a trailer, this is a grand slam. And for DC, you know, hopefully Matt Reeves really comes through in the clutch with this movie because... There is a lot of hype generated around this movie already, and it's just unfortunate that this movie is not going to be out for another five months. But, yeah, I think DC and I think Matt Reeves, I think they knocked it out of the park with this trailer. And I'm definitely looking forward uh, to what they're going to put on the big screen next year. Yeah, I mean,
1: obviously, DC has been the lonely kind of forgotten about stepchild in the realm of superhero movies because it's, of how bad their recent movies have flopped.
0: They've taken a backseat to Marvel. Not even yeah, a
1: backseat, bro. They're not even in the car. Yeah. You could, the, yeah. The, 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 the biggest hype behind a lot of these movies in terms of the most recent that has kind of taken it out of at, at, at more than face value was Zack Snyder's Justice League. Not the original one that he was working on and it had to leave. The one that absolutely was disgusting and flopped. That was remade and was one of the most successful DC movies ever done. Mm-hmm. Statistically, by the way. Um, but, I mean, before that was Aquaman. Because Batman versus Superman was shit. I mean, you really look at uh, Birds of Prey and that was like,
0: eh.
1: You know what I mean? Like, There's nothing thought, really like dominating about it.
0: I, I, I thought Man of Steel was good. I liked that movie. But liked
1: that. Man, the Man of Steel movie came out almost 10 years ago already.
0: Yeah, it was like 2012. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. so we're,
1: looking, we're looking at this like I'm talking recent films. The Man of Steel was supposed to be that thing. And then this whole Henry Cavill issue started. And then all of these other issues with DC started. And it's ridiculous. Like all of the problems that have come through in DC are just absolutely annoying. And it's just like the comic book characters that these people have in their pockets are just not being portrayed properly. Mm-hmm. These are not that I mean, granted, seeing them on the big screen from reading the comics and the novels as a child and seeing the animated shows growing up as a kid is one thing. But I mean, to literally look and see like Iron Man is like everybody swears up and down that he can beat Batman. And it's like, dude, in, in the comics, like in the comic book world, there's so much more depth to Batman. Mm-hmm. It's not even close, in my opinion. Call it bias and what it is, but Iron Man is so successful now, everyone's just like, Tony Stark would beat the shit out of Bruce Wayne. It's like, bro, do you have any idea who the fuck Bruce Wayne is? Do you know how in-depth Batman is? I don't think so. Does Iron Man have a strategy to beat the entire Avengers squad? No. He's got a fucking ego and a big wallet. Bruce Wayne has a literal strategic plan to take out every single member of the Justice League successfully in a comic book and in an animated movie that comes to fruition, and the Justice League is absolutely pissed that he even did that. But he did it, and he did it successfully. But also, Pittsburgh a, just won.
0: But he has a big wallet as well.
1: Oh, yeah, but what I'm saying, there's more strategic emphasis in Bruce Wayne and Batman rather than, well, I'm Iron Man, and I'm just going to beat you because
0: I'm smarter than you. Like, no. <laughs> How did Pittsburgh win, though? Pittsburgh won game-winning field goal. Ah.
1: Excellent. Yeah. So nah, it was whatever. I mean, that game was, I mean, they were legit going back and forth. Also it was punt, 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 punt all of overtime legit the whole time. So that was an irrelevant waste of time, but overall, once again, in terms of the Batman movie, the trailer was great. The fact that this is coming out in March, it's annoying because it was supposed to come out this month, but because of COVID and all the delays, it was pushed back to November and then it was pushed back to January. And now to March.
0: So, so we have to wait. So you think, you think the the, uh, the wait will be worth it, though?
1: I think so. I mean, if this, if this goes down the path,
0: like I said, of the year
1: one infusion with the combination of a long Halloween, in which I advise everybody, if you haven't read it, go take a look at it. These comic books are pretty much almost available almost anywhere sometimes. Um, the storyline is great. The detail, the character development of how Batman kind of grows into his own within the first couple of years. Again, it is a darker version than what everybody's used to. Um, the morals kind of kind of go out the window in these scenarios and these issues. But I mean, it is, is well worth it. And I think that everyone will then understand this Batman movie that is coming out because the Batman that is going to be on the screen during this movie is going to be like no one has ever seen. And if this movie gets the green light to be rated R, they ain't going to cut shit. Because technically, Suicide Squad, the first one with um, Jared Leto, was supposed to be rated R. And then they made it PG-13, and then they edited out all of Jared Leto's screen time. If you get the green light to make this as dark as possible and get the R rating, you don't got to take anything out. It's a, take it t- Like you said, take it for face value right off rip, right? If you see a movie is rated R, then you know off rip. Don't take certain people to see it. This isn't about kids. This is literally about making money. Why would you... Handicap yourself. Why would you tie one hand behind your back and take all of the available screen time? This is supposed to be a dark Batman. Don't take away the potential that this movie has for the, for the rating of children. I'm not saying I hate kids or anything like that, please. I, I love them, but you got to understand some movies are just meant to be in a darker realm and I feel like you are going to handcuff
0: this movie
1: and Matt Reeves' success if you make it PG-13.
0: You know what was kind of interesting? And to kind of like compare it to uh, the Christopher Nolan trilogy that came out from like, well, it's like 2005 to like 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. The sense that I get of Gotham in this trailer, granted, it's just a trailer, is a much more darker, a much more dangerous type of Gotham than I think that what we saw in the Christopher Nolan trilogy. I didn't really get the sense that. Gotham was like this this criminal ridden you know danger infested city with just like the landscapes that they had because I think when they were doing the shooting it was mostly uh, shooting for the film excuse me like I know like in The Dark Knight I believe it was shot in Chicago and I believe in in The Dark Knight Rises I believe they shot some of the scenes in Pittsburgh so they went with more kind of like a cityscape environment for Gotham almost i don't want to say corporate but you know there was definitely more of like just kind of like a cityscape environment that they had for gotham in the shooting of that christopher nolan trilogy with this one i don't get that sense whatsoever i get a much more grimier i get a much more danger riddled environment of gotham and maybe just kind of like that's kind of like my perception of what gotham has always been you know Batman is the one that's kind of, you know, doing his thing to kind of rid Gotham of, like, all of these danger-ridden areas of, like, crime and criminals or whatever he comes up with. But, yeah, like, with the aesthetic on this one, it's a lot more darker, and I don't think that they should hold anything back. Honestly, the grimier this movie is, the better. And I, and, I, you, I, 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 and here's the thing. Because you might understand where we're going with this. This is a different franchise, but I but imagine what like how it kind of got messed up with the way that they did it. Remember Star Wars with the prequel trilogy? Even though that some of those movies were bad, Revenge of the Sith was probably the Revenge of the Sith, excuse me, was probably the best one to come out of that. And that movie was a lot more darker. It was a lot more violent than the previous two movies uh, that came out before it. And then you transition to the trilogy that they just came out with Disney, the last couple of years, and you don't get that sense whatsoever. It seems kind of more like it was kind of more, I guess, curated to kids to a certain extent, but it didn't have that. It didn't have like that that violent aspect to it that John William, and not John Williams, that um, George Lucas kind of made Revenge of the Sith to be in that prequel trilogy. And I think when you look at what Christopher Nolan did with the last Batman trilogy, don't get me wrong. Like the movies in that trilogy are solid, especially the dark Knight and even Batman begins. I still enjoy that movie. And, but I don't, I didn't really get the sense that it was like a violent series. There was still a lot of, you know, death and destruction, like in those movies but this seems almost like, kind of like more personal with the darker aesthetic. It like the more personal and the more violent, I know this, this sounds like awful the way that I'm portraying it, but that's what kind of makes this stuff compelling. Yeah. You, you know, you know, it, it, and the one thing is I, I really want to see how Robert Pattinson plays this Batman, because I will say this, his physical stature, he does look skinny. Like he does not look like Ben Affleck was big for that, for that, movie stretch that he was for Batman even Christian Bale like you know like those guys were built for those movies Robert Pattinson kind of has to (laughs) build that up a little bit because the only memory that I really have of Robert Pattinson was back in the Twilight movies where he was thin as a stick so yeah
1: and that was the that was the really big issue when they casted him in my opinion was I couldn't see and force like kind of imagine him in the costume because I know for a fact that Batman's pretty shredded. He's not bulky, but he's, he's fit. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's, he's solid. He's built. And I, and I don't know if Robert Pattinson was able to portray that. I mean, in the screen, in the, in the trailer, there's a scene where obviously like he's putting on a shirt and I mean, his back looks pretty big, but I mean, like, again, like I'm not really looking for, you know, a shirtless side where I'm like, all right, it looked like he worked out. Cause you can CGI most of that shit nowadays and no one's going to know, mm. but Just for the audience's purpose here in terms of the review of the, not only the trailer, but the casting with Pattinson. Guys, there was a lot of speculation throughout COVID after Pattinson had recovered from getting the virus when it first came out. He was kind of up and down in terms of weight. And then rumors recently over the last couple of months that that was bullshit. But it does make sense with the timeline because Robert Pattinson was rumored to have been in a kind of a funk. Like, I don't want to work out. That's too much work. But obviously, Matt Reeves and them had signed that contract for this trilogy, and like production was already set back far enough to where they were like, "Dude, you better get your shit together, get this weight back that you lost because you had COVID, or we're gonna we're gonna have a bigger problem. This movie's not gonna happen. At least it's it's not gonna happen when we want it to." And uh, for the longest time, again, Pattinson had that that issue up and down throughout the entire production, and then obviously the delays in which other people of the cast kind of got COVID and whatever have you, but. This movie has a lot riding on it because it was pushed back so many times and because Robert Pattinson was being so difficult. Um, There has been rumors also that he's kind of a diva on set being kind of a little bit of a dick. So if this movie low-key flops, which I pray it doesn't, there's going to be a lot of issues to go out there and make a two and three. I feel like Robert's going to ask for more money or or something of that nature just because I'm just getting that vibe that – This just, like, when I tell you the weight of the world of DC Comics is on this shoulder of this movie, I'm literally telling you guys the truth, because the Flash movie doesn't come out until later, the end of that year, if not 2023. Black Adam doesn't come out until 2023. Aquaman doesn't come out until the end of 2022. So we're looking at, like, this is first in line for all of DC going forward. And if this shits the fucking bed, we are going to have a big problem in terms of DC funding, because... For God's sakes, I mean, Warner Brothers might have sold, was thinking about selling DC to Disney. And again, those were rumors, but dude, you you can't keep making these big budgeted, multi, almost billion dollar films if they're just going to keep shit in the bed. So Mm -hmm. actors like that need to really be put in their place and realize that it's a lot bigger than them. And I know that that's easy for me to say when I'm not the one making the millions, but. At the end of the day, Robert Pattinson's got to get his shit together, and I hope for the movie's sake that he looks good in the suit and looks good, like, off the suit. Like, I want to make sure that he fulfills the 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 fitness aspect of Batman as a whole. And, uh, again, only time will tell, man. I'm counting down the days. I can't wait.
0: Trailer was fire, though. Absolutely fire. dub. Dumb. Yeah. Like, there's, there's really nothing else to say other than that. No. But, Kev, but Kev bro, we've done two hours.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm going to kick myself in the ass when I have to go to work tomorrow or yes. wake up for work tomorrow. I know.
0: Same here. But you know what? There was a lot to discuss today. It was definitely worth, you know, going over all the topics that we did. So, oh, yeah. well well worth it, in my opinion. But um, other than that, guys, that's pretty much all that we have for you guys today. So, you know, once again, I know we we sound like a broken record player here, but just, you know, we appreciate you guys, you know, tuning in and listening to the podcast on the audio platforms available or watching our YouTube videos on our YouTube page. I mean, we just appreciate you guys being able to take the time out of your day to watch the content that we provide. Um, When it comes to the rest of this week, I I imagine we'll do our usual Friday episode. Like always, Uh, we'll probably go over our power rankings in the NFL after week six on Tuesday And then we'll probably just kind of do some small little content stuff for for YouTube throughout the week. But, you know, that's pretty much going to be our schedule. You know, we'll try to get, get out content four days a week. It's usually what we try to aim for, you know, two episodes primarily, one at the beginning of the week, one at the end of the week, and then small little videos that may come up throughout the week. That's pretty much, I think, what we're going to keep it to, at least for the foreseeable future. But, you know, like I said, just appreciate you guys tuning in to watch what we do and just hope that you guys continue to support us as we keep going. Kevin, is there anything else that you wanted to add?
1: No, man. I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. 234 subscribers. I feel like every time we get on the platform lately, uh, we're giving updates on sub counts. And I mean, like, I know that that sounds cliche and we sound like we're bragging, but we're not. I'm trying to show you guys that this channel is growing. Um, views are increasing. Sub counts are increasing. Content is getting more and more viable in terms of having more to talk about. So, I mean... Day in and day out, Kyle and I are putting in maximum effort to get the best content we can available to you guys at a consistent basis, and that is key. So, again, we thank you for all the support and for all those people that do watch our videos in and out. I mean, even for those of you that are just popping by to get some insight on some sports stuff, uh, we appreciate you for popping in. But as always, man, we really, really, really love what we do. and We just can't wait to keep it going and and make this 10 times bigger than what it is now. Let's just put it that way.
0: Oh, yeah. For sure. And I love it, bro. I love it. But, you know, it's like we said, you guys, you know, just appreciate you guys supporting the channel in the way that you have so far. And just hopefully that continues moving forward. And we will see you guys later this week. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B. and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore L A. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the city of angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Hi, I'm Lisa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time.